Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoor Magazine, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Brian Sin, joined by co-host Stephen Wisdom. Stephen, my friend, it's good to see you today, buddy. Yeah, I was starting to worry I wasn't going to get to hang out with you a little bit today, but we it's made been it work. Day. It's been that kind of day, man. We've been, we were going to do it early, then we were going to do it in the middle of the day, then we were going to do it a little later, and here we are. To be honest, when you drove up in the parking lot, I just looked at the ground like, hmm, forgot about that. Forgot about that. <laughs> I am glad we're here. Look forward to today's show, and hopefully, hopefully we're going to start seeing the tide turn a little bit on the dog days of summer here in Alabama and fishing and the grind and so hopefully we've got some good intel to yeah, us today. I'm, I'm sure we do, man. We've got we've got some good callers lined up today, and I'm anxious to, to hear from these guys and see what they've been doing out there. But, man, you had a good week. Uh, the week's been a challenge, but, you know, I guess excuses are – they're excuses. But it's right. – uh, if we could start all over again, we probably would. Right. But we're going to make the best of it. Uh, it's been – we've had some major production issues with my business, and – we are very blessed, but when the production line ain't working right, that creates a really big problem. Well, the beautiful thing is, is that you need production, right? So you got mm-hmm. people wanting to buy deer feed, and it's that time of the year that people are wanting to get ready and starting to think about that. So the positive is that you have production that needs to be made. So that's a good thing. Now you just got to get all the kinks worked out, and, and I know you will. It is, and don't let my weariness of getting kicked in the teeth all week communicate ungratefulness for what we are being blessed with in our business because we do i mean we have a lot of people love our products uh are using our products and we sell more than we can make every week uh so we're all blessed and what's the name of your products again it's kind of like an underground that's right i know know. you know so but the name of the company is grip feed company and we have several different mixes that that we sell to help guys grow big deer and then also attract deer during hunting season and so that's right. Uh, but the cool thing is, it's a complete word of mouth business. Whoever buys this 430 acres from me that I just listed needs that deer feed. Absolutely. And, 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 and guys, I did. If you know somebody that wants to kill big deer in Alabama, 430 acre high fence in Coosa County, this is a beautiful place. It's got some big deer. I know they killed 230 on it last year. They've killed a couple over 200. Highly managed, just a beautiful track of land, beautiful lakes on it, great fishing. And, uh, man, if, if, if you're interested in something like that or you know somebody that is, reach out, give me a call, 601-383-2344. Would love to hear from you. Try to get this thing sold. But, hey, let's jump on into our fishing. Let's talk about fishing for a minute. Yeah, man. And uh, let's go up with our first caller, Brad Whitehead and Gunnerful. Brad, how you doing, buddy? Man, I can't complain. I was kind of depressed there at the first listening to that, but that that high fence and talking about all that good stuff got me in a better mood now. Listening to y'all. As we always <laughs> say, now we try to keep it real. So it's the good, bad, and ugly. And uh, from the standpoint of business, it has been ugly this week. So maybe the fishing's been good. Tell us about it. Hey, let me tell you something. You cannot keep lures on the shelf. Uh, all the manufacturers that I deal with, all the way to the boats, has had the best year they've ever had. There has been more people in the outdoors hunting, I mean fishing and getting ready to hunt 
then I think I, I can't remember the last time I've heard, hey, can you call so-and-so and see when we get we can get this color? Or can you call and see when this boat's going to be done? They can't get anything. I mean, they are completely out of everything they can get right now. So one hand, that is awesome. On the other hand, you got to keep these products in these, you know, fishermen's boat. And if they don't have the products, then they're not going fishing. It's been a weird year. Very been a weird, year. been a weird year, man. I think the fishing companies and uh, they can't keep up with manufacturing right now, and and neither can the beer companies. Maybe that goes hand in hand. I don't know. But. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you're you're exactly right. Well, let me tell you something. You can go get. It don't cost anything. Let me tell you something. This past weekend, these kids has been ragging me to take them live bait fishing, and I said, boys. It's too early. No, Daddy, it's not. It's not. Well, I sent you guys some pictures of this yes, past you did. weekend. And let me tell you something. That was just a few pictures that we took. Right now, Pickwick, Wilson, if you've got a live bait tank and you've been wanting to get into this, right now it's the time to do it. Now, you got to think, the water temperature is 84, 85 degrees. These, these, these thread fin shad are not going to stay alive long. Now, I use a tank called an extreme bait tank. It's a double insulated tank. They're made in Kentucky. If you go that step, you can keep your bait longer, livelier. It's not a plug. It's a fact. I mean, it, it's going to keep the water cooler. You're going to have livelier bait. Livelier bait catches more fish. So... That's yeah, you sent me a you sent me a picture of that, and and it's basically just I I was looking. I'd never seen anything like that before. It it looks like it looks like a, a fifty gallon barrel. It is. It is. It's uh, it it really goes in depth. I mean, they they start at about seven hundred dollars, and a lot of guys go, whoa, whoa. Well, if you do this four or five months out of the year, I mean, what's the difference in going and buying a $2,000 depth finder. I mean, if you're going to do it and do it right, you got to have the equipment. And these these tanks, like I said, they're made in America. They're double insulated. They've got a, I think it's a thousand. Uh, it comes with single and double pumps in them. They're light. You, you If you fish at night, they've got a light in them. Uh, he's putting a 110 pump in them now, where if you want to carry your bait at home and plug it up to a 110, it don't, you know, You'll have a 12-volt and a 110 pump in there. And basically, if you can get it in your mind, I know this is going to sound silly, especially to the listeners, but what puts what makes these threadfin shad and, and get them lively is they've got to have current, all right? They're a filter feeder, okay? So the water's got to be moving. And to, to break it down, and again, this is going to sound silly, if you flush a toilet and it turns, okay, that's basically what your tank needs to look like. Because if these shads stop, they're going to die. They have to keep they have to keep swimming in a circle. And if you notice, of course, you guys fish, and a lot of the a lot of the listeners uh, they fish. Obviously, they're listening to this. When you see threadfin shad in the water, they're never sitting still. They're always moving. So therefore, you've got to have a tank that moves. The water's got to circulate to keep these alive. So right now, in 85 degree water temperature, I'm keeping these threadfin shad alive for about four hours and that's pretty awesome yeah that's really awesome um, well l- well let's let's talk about uh we, we've talked about productivity a little bit today 
Let's talk. How are you? Did y'all, did your kids didn't think it was time. You th- or they, you didn't think it was time. They thought it was time. Tell us what y'all caught. I saw- well, yeah, the first day out was probably, we, we had current. Now, you got to think, these Tennessee River chain lakes, that every fish that operates in these lakes, you know, they've got to have current to feed. So we went Saturday. We had a lot of current Saturday. So, therefore, the first pictures I sent y'all with the big largemouth, big smallmouth, those were caught on Saturday. We had a lot of current. Basically, what we do, we take a throw net. We go to the backs of the creek. We catch our shad. We put them in our tank. We carry them out and fish the main river. We fish hump, Indian mounds, rock bars, bluffs. Anywhere the current's going to break, you're going to have big fish. It's a real simple setup. We use a 6-6 uh, a slider rod. We use 8-pound high-vis, vicious line. We use a split shot and hook. That's it. That's all you got wrapped up in. Basically, you either going to drift over these spots. You're going to get in a tail race. You're going to be somewhere where there's a current break. That's where your fish are going to be. Now, we went back Sunday. I carried the little man, which is 10. We had no current, but that's where our depth finders made a huge play. I was out riding and come up on one of the humps, and there was a load of spots. I bet you there was a 100 spotted bass and largemouth sitting on top of a rock pile. And basically what I did, I pulled up on the rock pile, put my men on, flipped it out there, let it go to the bottom, and I think I caught 25 straight spotted bass in a row goodness and you talking about fun that was awesome of course little man had to get up there he caught his biggest spot he had one that weighed about three and a half pounds i'm gonna tell you what that gets me excited that is i love it i absolutely love doing this it's about two weeks early but they wanted to try it and i'm glad we did because we made a lot of memories and we caught a bunch of fish so well you know one of the questions that I'll, i've got a lot of questions around it but one of the things that you say is two weeks early is, is this something that is fishing live bait is it really a seasonal deal is it not something that you can do all year long well, what makes it can. better now what'll make it better in a couple of weeks is the water temperature will start dropping at night and what that what that does is that gets the water temperature cooler and therefore you your fish are going to move around a little more. You're going to have a, your current's going to change up a little bit. The water's not going to be as stagnant. Hopefully you'll get some rain and it just refreshes the lake. Most of the people don't want to do it in the summertime because their live bait's not going to last long in those tanks. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, four hours on the lake, that's all the trips I'm doing. I don't care if I'm with my kids or with customers. About a six to 10 is about all I'm going to do. Uh, it just gets so hot, it's miserable. A lot of the bass guides that are around here, and you you guys talk to some of them, good friends of mine, they do it in the fall just simply because you're going to catch so many numbers on these thread pin shad. You know, a lot of guys don't they don't like to take a $70,000 bass boat and throw a net and bring these fish, you know, these thread pin shad in and put them in the boat. But I'm going to tell you, I've got several buddies. They are just hey, tell us when. We're ready. We're ready to go. I mean, we. it's just fun. I mean, you take a kid out, You t- like my kid, of course, they were raised on the river fishing, hunting. You carry one of their friends that's never been on a boat, and you hook a minnow and throw it out there, and they catch a four-pound drum, they're hooked. You got them. So it's a real, it's a great way to introduce kids into fishing, and it's not that expensive to do it. You don't have to go out and buy all the high-dollar gear. Now, 
the tanks are expensive, but you can make some homemade tanks if you don't want to go that route and just try it. But it is, you're going to catch something. You're going to catch a drum, catfish, smallmouth, largemouth spot, strike, anything that swims in the Tennessee River, you're going to catch it on a minnow. So where where are you guys at? I, I, I missed that. I thought, are you up on, where are you mainly minnow fishing at or, or live bait fishing at? On Pickwick. We on basically Pickwick. stay from, from Natchez Trace. I, yeah, I think you said Gunnersville. I did. Yeah, yeah. My bad. Uh, that's all right. We're basically staying from Natchez Trace to Wilson Dam. And the reason B is because of the grass. You can fish that grass with minnows, but it's really difficult. You know, we try to stay closer to the tail races, you know, and we don't have to deal with the grass. Are you catching a lot of smallmouth or a lot of spots? Well, Sunday with no current, I caught a lot of spots. I think we probably caught 27 or 28 spots, and I only fished one hole. Now, Saturday, we probably caught 12 to 15 smallmouth, six to eight largemouth, and I don't know, say a dozen spots. Guys, if you guys want to do this, y'all 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 need to hook up and go do this with guys who have experience. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, you're going out and you're catching your own bait every day and you're trying to keep it alive. And, and the reason I know this because I can throw a cast net. I, I, I can mm-hmm. catch bait. But I remember a time in, in, in that journey where this was – I felt like this was impossible. Tell us a little bit about the approach of catching live bait – Help help a guy who's maybe wants to explore that, wants to try this, but what's your approach and what's some techniques and what's some go-to thought process if a guy wanted to initiate this uh, live bait catching concept? All right. When I started, I was seeing all my buddies throw these nets, you know, and I thought, I, I can't let them see me not be able to catch, you know, <laughs> throw a net. So, so I've got some pretty ruthless guys, you know, that I fish with. So I simply went home. And I got on YouTube, and I started watching the videos on YouTube, how to throw a cast net. Obviously, the Coast guys are the ultimate. They're throwing, uh, I guess, 12 to 14 footers. Start out with a five. Start out with a four. Start out smaller and break down that video. I, I literally took my phone, put it on the nose of my boat, and I watched every frame by frame of what that guy did. And once you hit it the first time, you'll know how to do it. You know, in that little video I shot y'all, you don't need to wear nothing nice. You're going to have scales on you. I've got a bass boat, and after a weekend or four or five days of, of, of minnow fishing, I come home and, and wash the boat and get the scales off of it. You'll never know there's a tank in my boat. Start small. Start small with your net. I, I told a guy, I said, you got a picnic table? He goes, yeah. I said, can you stand on it? Well, yeah. I said, stand on the picnic table and cast your net. That's where you need to learn, an elevated spot, because you're going to be elevated in the boat. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of videos with some ladies that are ultimate cast net. I mean, the the videos, they break them down step by step, exactly what you need to do. That's your first step. The second step is going to find your bait. The shallower the bait, the easier it is to catch. And that kind of goes back to that question you were asking, why did you think it was a little early? Well, in the fall, as that water cools down, it runs these shad into the very backs of these creeks, which are three and four, five foot deep. Well, they start congregating. They start getting in big schools. Obviously, a bigger school of fish, threadfin shad, are going to be easier to catch than a smaller school. As a beginner, if you'll start in October and start seeing these big schools of shad in the backs of these creeks, 
then it'll be easier for you to catch them as far as your bait. That was my first suggestion as far as getting into this is to learn how to throw the cast net. Just don't go too big. Go small and work your way up. Now, this is maybe taking it one step too far, but a lot of times we have the guys from Southeastern Pond Management on here, and we talk in depth about pond pond management versus obviously fishing in state rivers and, and lakes. And, you know, we get into the discussion of threadfin versus uh, gizzard shad. Is there a lot of prevalence of gizzard shad in Pickwick? And if so, does it matter whether you're catching gizzard shad or threadfin for a guy? 100%. The second thing I taught my kids on live bait fishing is know the difference in a gizzard shad and a threadfin shad. And I've done it. All the older guys told me what I'm fixing to tell you, and I didn't believe it. And I started taking my clients, and I would put a gizzard shad on their pole, and I would use a threadfin shad, and I would catch five to one fish with a threadfin shad over a gizzard shad. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to tell you why I know that. I know from experience. I don't know why they like a threadfin shad. I think they stay a little livelier. They move a little more. Than a gizzard shad, that's the only thing I can think of. But if I can throw on a school of threadfin shad over a school of gizzards, look, there's some older guys that I know that live bait fish, they take a five-gallon bucket. They fill it three-quarters of the way with water. And when they dump their nets, they dump it in that bucket. And they will literally sit there and throw out the gizzard shad and keep nothing but threadfin. Threadfin matter. <laughs> they matter. Uh, yes. And, and I will say this. And I know for a fact I had a neighbor that's done it. He's got an eight three and an eight one. He's really one of the only few guys that I know that has a smallmouth over eight pounds. He caught an eight three and an eight one in the spring on bolt shiners below Wilson Dam. I've seen the fish. Yeah, People say, big. "Well, oh, that's massive." You know, I, I I just can't throw a net, or you know, maybe. I have a disability. I can't throw a net. I've got a bad shoulder. Whatever. You can do the same thing. It's going to cost you a little more. They're about $18 a pound, I believe, at the bait stores. But you can do the same thing with bulk. You know, you can buy your shiners, have you a nice live well or something they can, you know, stay, stay lively in, a tank, and you can go buy them. I've got several guys that do that. The bigger, the better. If, you, if you've got a guy at a bait store that that will let you hand pick. Hey, I want them, and I, I'll, I'll take that one. Hand pick them. The bigger, the better. I have seen two pound spot hit six inch yellowtails. Dang. You know, just like just like the other day, the biggest smallmouth we had was four and a half. The biggest largemouth we had was four and a half. It hit a two and a half inch yellowtail. I think the size sometimes all in our head. You kind of have to match the hatch. Ninety percent of the bait that's around right now on Pickwick is two and a half to three and a half inches long so therefore that's what they're looking that's what for they're gonna be, that's what they're looking for if you get a bonus and get a five incher in there hey that's a bonus you know you're probably gonna catch a big fish on it right now but i think a lot of these fish are beat up they've been they've had everything these tournament trails has come through and and we've had this people not being able to go to work school's been out right now they want something that's mother nature and these threadfin shad is it that's I am awesome. looking forward from now to Thanksgiving. Seems like it shuts down when the water temperature gets about 52 degrees. Below 52 degrees, it slows way down, and that's usually around Thanksgiving. So from now to Thanksgiving, you know, if I'm not crappie fishing, I'm going to have a, 
I'm going to have a minute tank in the boat trying to catch, you know, smallmouth and largemouth spots. You know what else you're going to have in the boat? <laughs> some happy people. You're going to you're gonna, you're gonna have me in the boat at some point between now and Thanksgiving because I want to come do well, that. Well, and I can't come throw on, a we, cast uh, so I can help you with that. But I not that's I'm, even better. But I can do that. So, well, it people come and and you know they go. Well, you know I just don't believe we're going to catch that. And and you know we have bad days. I mean, you know uh, a guy tells you he don't have bad days. He he's not a guy or he's a really good liar because there's days that you know you catch drum. You might there's some days you might catch four hundred pounds of drum. But you know what? You put somebody in a boat that's never caught a fish. They have a less. ball. They having a ball. That's right. They is. I mean, it's a it's a great way. And I try to and I put off trips. It usually costs me money. And I try to put trips off to go. Hey, if you're bringing that kid down here, wait and let's go live bait fishing. Just take them one time. Once you take them one time, they're hooked. Stephen, have they you ever live bait fish for bass? I have back in the day. Not 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 as serious. <laughs> talking here it, it's more of a a little snotty nosed kid you know putting putting a putting putting a little minnow on a on a hook but i used to do it right down there there's a boat ramp right right at the dam right there you know i grew up in the shoals and yeah, the rock pile the little rock pile right there there's the, the inlet where the boat ramp is i'd walk around the edge of that inlet the inlet and try to get as far away from the boat ramp as possible with the little bucket of minnows there you go. And uh, do I, it, but, uh, but let, I let never. <laughs> I have seen I have seen two eight pound smallmouths that has come from right where you were standing. Mm-hmm. The guys were in the boat, but I've got a picture of my. I'll, I'll send it to y'all. I, I wasn't in the boat with him, but a friend of mine caught one that weighed. I think it was about eight six, and Nathan was just a little fella. And I, I'll send it to you here shortly. But it was caught right exactly where you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, but I, I I was clueless then though I was uh, but I had it in I had it in my dreams you know I was I was a little kid dreaming the area that he's talking about is a pretty phenomenal fishery in the fall and and especially when you get in a boat with a guy who really has it dialed in guys if y'all y'all want to go have an amazing experience and I I speak from the standpoint of just the lifelong memories of that area that that he's fishing. Y'all give him a call. It really will be an extraordinary time on the water. I promise. Absolutely. Well, well I, go ahead. If you walk away from a day of live bait fishing and you didn't enjoy it, you, you probably don't need to get into fishing. And like I said, we have a lot of the guys, they don't like, they don't like live bait. They would rather do artificial and that's perfectly fine. We do it for enjoyment. We do it for numbers. I do it to try to introduce kids into fishing. And one of the things you can tell, too, if you have kind of an old tournament trick, you can find a lot of new holes with live bait. It's amazing. You, you know, you, I might fish with a guy and go, man, I ain't never caught nothing here. Well, let's drift the minnow across it. You drift the minnow across it and catch five or six smallmouth. I never thought they were there. So it really builds your confidence. And I started, I started my oldest son doing that, going, look, look what is here. Now you've got to figure out how to do it with artificial. Mm-hmm. So it's a great confidence builder. I just sent you that picture of, of Nathan when he was small and, and that fish that was caught in that area. But it is unbelievable what lives below these dams that you can catch with live bait. Well, good you guys, stuff. y'all come on. Well, if somebody wants to come fish with you and jump in the boat, man, how, how, how do they need to reach you? Just give me a call the old-fashioned way, 256-483-0834. 
or you can catch me on Instagram or Facebook, Brad Whitehead's real simple. Give me a call and we'll make it happen. Man, that sounds good, Brad. Well, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. And uh, always good to talk with you and, and get information from you. And we look forward to talking to you again soon, brother. Okay, bud. Talk to y'all later. All right. Thanks, take care. Brad. Man, that was a great segment. Always love to hear uh, hear from Brad. And, and man, that whole whole deal there is uh, with the live bait fishing is a whole new angle, right? Yeah, I'm telling you, it, it, it really – it did change your life, man. I mean, I, I can still – vividly remember uh the very first smallmouth i caught and it was right there where he's talking about that's crazy and it's an amazing area so yeah it's it's a really cool deal they need to do it absolutely well man let's move down the road just a little bit to to gunnersville and uh talk with alex davis alex how you doing man doing good how are you i'm doing good buddy you've been on the road hadn't you uh, yeah, I'm, I just got to my buddy's house uh, near Chicago right now. I just pulled pulled in the driveway. Been driving all day. Oh goodness, what you got? Uh, what you got in Chicago? Uh, my buddy lives here. Where I'm going to Sturgeon Bay tomorrow, so this is my usually my stopping point to to not to enjoy myself. And he'll cook some good food this evening and have a good time and drive the rest of the park tomorrow. Nice, nice. So uh, you guys are fishing on Sturgeon Bay next week. Yeah, we have our championship, FLW's title championships next week. Awesome. So, not to deviate, because we really do want to hear about Alabama fishing, but the last I heard, you can only fish so far. Uh, Is the border still closed as far as the water and where you can fish? Yeah, but, I mean, the fishable water is unreal. It's Mm -hmm. uh, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres. So, I don't think I'm going to have a problem not being able to have enough acreage to fish. So your approach doesn't really take you into Canada, so it's no, all I mean, the way up there. But we're dealing with a Great Lake. I don't have. I don't need to worry about going to Canada. Good gracious! Now where were you? You were somewhere last week as well, right? Where were y'all fishing last week? Um, Lake Erie. Okay, I knew you were up there somewhere in that area. How did that go? Uh, it went good. I come in fifty, I believe fifty-eight out of uh, two hundred, and then make the uh, championship and finish third. I did the job at hand. Nice, nice. Well, I know you've been on the road, but I'm sorry. I know you've been on the road. How are things back at home? Uh, Good. I fished, um, actually fished Sunday and I would say Sunday, Monday. I don't know if it's Sunday, Monday or Monday, Tuesday. My days run together now, but it was actually pretty good. I had bites on a frog. It's becoming that time of frog fishing. (laughs) So the frog bite is turning on. Yeah, it it usually starts generally in August and it lasts. It gets going in August and then really gets good in September, and then it, it starts tapering off into October. Used to do October was the best month, and now I think it's about the second best month to do it. I think September's best now. So it's just now kicking off, and that's probably my favorite time to fish on Gunnerful. Yeah, man, that's great. Me, me too. I, I love frog fishing. And, you know, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about the approach, though, because the cool thing about frog fishing, you can just get out there and start chunking and, wild, you know, chunking, popping, pop, pop. I mean, you can just go. But there is a way to hone in on really finding yourself in some key areas and getting some great blow-ups and getting a lot of bites. And so what's a little bit of intel about your setup and, and how are you finding these fish? Because not, not all the fish are turned on yet to the frog, but what are some of the elements that you've seen as or areas of the lake that you're seeing that they have turned on to the, to the frog bite? Mainly it's upriver, and the main thing is just looking for uh, grass that's already dead, so it's mm. hollow underneath. 
if it's still growing, it's too thick. They can't come through. That's when you have to catch them more punching. Mm -hmm. um, but when it's dead, actually dying and hollow underneath, that's the best frog map. So really, you're. I don't think there's technically a GPS point where it's like, oh, that, that GPS point every year, that's the best for mm -hmm. frog fishing. It's usually mm -hmm. just generally all about the map. So you kind of just have to keep up with the grass throughout the season. And generally, whatever was growing the earliest in the spring is going to die off the first in the fall. So that's all you're really looking for. If you if you go into an area and you see that the grass is just too thick and still alive, you just keep going and until you hit something that's dead and dying. Now that's great. You know, no, I don't I don't want to blow past that. That is actually a wonderful tip and and right there because I've spent a lot of time searching for quality grass and even on Gunnersville. And what he just said there, guys, is man, if the grass is just not dead enough, just keep going, keep looking until you start seeing that grass that is started to die off and that's where you can probably really start to see your frog bite turn on alex at what point do you stop fishing how do you know or at what point do you stop fishing deep water schooling bass and say okay it's time to tie a frog on and move back shallower uh, generally it, me when it, starts, when it starts the when the deep bite starts getting really tough and to me it sucks that's when i switch over because i mean after a while you can only you can only beat your head against the wall, but so many times. So usually when you've done that for a week or 10 days and you're just struggling to catch anything, to me, there's always, there's always has to be a better way to catch a fish. So that's usually when I do it. When the deep bite gets tough, I just, I go back shallow and fish the way you're supposed to. <laughs> well, you're supposed to. I like it. <laughs> the fun way. You get to where you're just catching two pounders and two and a quarters and you have to tell yourself sometimes we're at Gunnersville or we're at Pickwick. There's bigger fish in this lake, so you go go do something else. That's good. That's good. You're right. Um, here's a little bit of debate that I had last week because I was actually not – I wasn't fishing a, a major river system, but I, I was fishing a 300-acre private lake last week full of hydrilla and coontail, lily pads. And we, we caught like 50 fish in two and a half hours all on frogs. It was amazing. Mm. Fish coming completely out of the water, blowing up on the frog. I mean, just – Changed my life kind of fishing. But we got into this argument about frog color. Alex, what, I want to hear your input on frog color. What's your go-to frog color? What are your, what's your thought process on does it matter? And there's thousands of different frog colors out there, just like everything else. Where, what's your go-to frog black, color? Black or brown. It's, it's quite simple. I just throw a black one or a brown one. Not saying a yellow one or a pink polka dotted one or a white one won't catch one. It, it's more of a confidence thing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, to me, they can't, they can't see through that mat. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care what anyone says. They, they might be able to see silhouette of all, they can see a white silhouette better than a black one or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. but they cannot see through a mat. It, it just, it's impossible. So, I mean, I, I've seen people get a little carried away and they say, Oh, this is the one they're biting. Uh, and it, cause it top is different color. And I tell people, if you think he can see the top of that frog, well, you're just crazy. I mean, you're, you're crazy because he can't see the top of it. He's only seeing yeah. the bottom of it. So yeah. If you'll look majority of frog colors, they'll have 80 different color back and there's three different color bottoms. There's brown, there's white, there's black. And yeah. then sometimes they'll throw in a yellow, but I mean, it's more of a confidence thing. I've seen on guide trips where, everyone goes biteless for two hours and then when we get around them everybody's catching them in the boat and we all have three different color frogs so to me color is very yeah. very unimportant it's more getting around them once you're around them it's pretty simple yeah. you throw, throw there they bite 
Yeah, and I agree. And I, I'm a, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a black and white guy, and we, <laughs> we just got to kind of arguing a little bit about, you know, the, the other guy was like, well, man, it's got to look like a frog. Like, it has to look like a frog. Like, why, why, a frog is not black and frogs not white. We were just arguing about that. And I, so I, I'm more on your side. I, uh, I am a, I'm either black or, or white. And I use the white in a situation where I'm frog fishing, but there's still a lot of bait in the, in the, in the grass. And so, but uh, it was just funny. Because I had the same thing. It's like, that frog can, I mean, that fish cannot see the colors on that frog. Except for the Mississippi River, I've never seen a frog on a mat. So, they're not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's another, I'll say that too. Like, I've never, I've never seen a frog hopping across a matted hydrilla. No, no, never. (laughs) You go to the Mississippi River, you'll see thirty bullfrogs a day on top of mats swimming around. So, I, and places like that, yes, you might want to match the color of a frog. But on Gunnersville, they eat shad or they eat brim. So you either want a white frog or a clear or something that looks like a shad or imitates a bait fish, or you want mm-hmm. a frog that's going to imitate a brim, which is usually a darker color, which is brown or black. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. These companies have to sell frogs, so yeah, they want they. If, they, if every fisherman would buy 70 colors, of course, they'd love it. Mm-hmm. But I've learned after about 12 years, I'm going to bite it or they're not. And I just I roll with that idea. That's good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate it. Man, we wish you the best of luck up there this week. And thanks for taking the time while you're on the road to call in, man. I know that, that takes that takes time out of your day and, and you're busy. So we appreciate that. But uh, if somebody wants to come uh, fish with you when you get back, uh, from winning this championship this week, <clears throat> what's the best way for them to get up with you, Alex? You can call me at 256-298-1178 or get on spinnerbaitkid.com. It's got my phone number, my email address. You can just send me an email, send me a text message, call me, whatever you want to do. That sounds good, buddy. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And, again, good luck this week. Well, everyone, go frog fishing. It's a, it's an absolute blast. You'll never experience nothing like it. Good stuff, man. Good I agree stuff. with him. It's it's my favorite. Number one. So. Number one. Thanks, man. Safe travels. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take Bye. care. Bye. Well, that was good stuff, man. Glad to hear the frog bite is coming on. I know you're glad, like you said before. That's uh, if it's not your favorite way to fish, it's it's one of your favorite ways to catch bass. No, it's my favorite way to fish. It's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it. There's yeah. It's number one. Frog. I like I like a lot of ways of fishing, but frog fishing is number one well that's good stuff man. No. well we uh we we've heard what's going on in north alabama a little bit let's go all let's come on down the the, the state a little bit with with captain david Hare and, and talk about some stripe fishing david how you doing buddy i'm doing good y'all doing all right man we are we are hanging in there it's kind of been one of those days but uh but we're about to put a wrap on it i hear you i hear you I hate to bring this up before we start talking about fishing, but how were the test results? Negative, man. I, I was negative. I was really surprised because I did not. Uh, I I would have bet bet a lot of money that that I had the the COVID. But uh, basically, his results came back as soft. Soft. He's still <laughs> wimpy. He's just soft. He's just soft. <laughs> hey, yeah, my my wife, she's a nurse anesthetist, you know, puts you to sleep and all. And I if you've if you've never dated or been married to a nurse, 
uh, I promise you, you don't get any sense. So you could cut your head off and they'll say, you'll be all right. <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be just Put a band-aid and don't even take aspirin. You'll be all right. I saw, I saw a lot worse than that today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you do hear that all the time. All the time. All the time. Good stuff, man. Well, we appreciate you jumping on here last minute with us. And uh, so thank you for that. But I know you've been, uh, man, I know you. And I know you've been catching stripes. We have. We have. I, uh glad to say that the bite turned around since the last time i talked to you and uh the water temp dropped about three degrees i assume that was a big part of it i you know it, you you never know exactly but all i can tell you is when it went from 89 back down to 86 in the morning the bite just started getting better and better well i don't have any idea why the water temperature went down three degrees because it's hot I, it today, uh, well, right this second here, it's hot. But to be honest with you, it's been really pleasant out there in the mornings up until about, you know, up until about ten thirty or eleven, and, and then then you're ready to get off the water. But the water temp is is staying right in there, you know. When are you doing most of your trips? Are you doing them at night? Are you doing them early morning? No, sir. I stopped all my night trips couple years back just due to all the recreational boats on the lake it's just it just got too nerve-wracking but anyway we're doing real early morning trips we try to meet about five o'clock and you know and get gone by five fifteen. then it starts getting daylight about five thirty here the last several mornings uh five thirty five forty uh we try to be being where we're fishing and as the sun comes up good stuff are you catching fish? I know you said your device turned on, but tell us a little bit, maybe, kind of uh, of the size you're catching, the numbers, and and maybe talk about talk about how your what your approach is right now. Well, my approach right now is because I was having so much trouble keeping live bait alive and and catching live bait, but it's been pretty tough the last few weeks. So. So anyway, it's trolling season for us here on Lake Martin anyway. So we're running uh, downriggers and uh, we're trolling uh, out in some really deep water. And once we mark a few fish, we we uh, just drop our downriggers down to the depth we're seeing them in and uh, tro- trolling some mighty big baits, crankbaits and some spoons and jigs, a, a combination of a little bit of everything. Do you seem to do better on the artificial, or is it, or is, or is the live bait still the best? Well, the live bait's the best, I'd say, 90% of the year. But we're in that, what I call, pretty much trolling season. You, you're wanting to cover a lot of war, water because you're not going to find just great big, huge schools of fish. So the best way to catch fish is covering a lot of water by trolling and you you might find several fish in a great big area and you can work that area where if you were using live bait you know you'd be dropping down to one or two fish at the most and trying to catch that one or two fish where when you're trolling you're covering a lot of water and seeing a lot of singles or sometimes a double and 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 you're just you're just more productive i guess that's what i'm saying Mm -hmm. Are the, are the fish still got pretty good size to them? 
here the last since Sunday, we have not caught a fish over 12 pounds. Most of them uh, that we're catching right now are 8 to 12 pounds. I feel like we've had a couple fish on that might would have been might would have been in the 20 pound class range, but uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't get them in. They pulled loose, but we're just catching some nice fighting fish, good eating size fish, catching the bass here and there on some of our trolling uh, lures. And of course, if they're in good shape, we usually release them. But anyway, uh, no, not catching. We're not catching any 25 and 30 pound fish right now. So earlier in the show, we, we were talking about live bait fishing, but actually for bass up on the Tennessee River, as the weather's changing, uh, it's a great opportunity up on the Tennessee River to, to live bait fish for smallmouth and spotted bass, even catching some good largemouth. Uh, and we got to talking about the approach of catching bait. And, you know, you mentioned a minute ago, even catching bait's been difficult, but what what is is the approach different from a striped bass standpoint than than maybe what he was talking about? Are you trying to target key size uh, live bait, or what's your approach on catching live bait when you're chasing not a, a, a two to five pound smallmouth bass or spotted bass, but a eight to twenty pound striper bass? You know, what are you kind of looking for in a live bait approach? <laughs> it's it's hard to believe this, but uh, here this year, just about all of our fish has been caught on. I'm telling you, really small bait, really small bait. They have not. I'm I'm talking about even back during the spring, they they just haven't been interested in real big bait. So we're we've been uh, catching herring, and and uh, they they are on the small size. And so that's and that's what the fish are spitting up when you catch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, their mouth's just full of uh, real small herring and real small thread pin shad. So catch, trying to catch both of those and catch them on the small size. Now they're not going to live as good or live as long. So you have to have more to run a trip uh, just because they don't live very long this time of year you put them down there and if you get you know if you get 10 10 to 15 minutes out of them you're doing good Mm -hmm. and so you're constantly changing bait i think the last time i talked to you we i was telling you about a 41 that we call and i bet you that i bet you that bait that fish hit probably wasn't three inches long Hmm. And why do you think that is? I mean, obviously, the beautiful thing about what you're saying is, man, you're on the water all the time, have been for years. You really can start to see trends and see things change. And, you know, what are the variables there or have you identified them? Is it, is it you know, because you're saying it's been like this the whole year. Is it is it forage driven? Well, for whatever reason, there's a there's a maybe there was a a, a great shad spawn this year that ultimately left them a certain size or maybe it was vice versa is there any indicators of why has the trend been these big fish eating small baits this year i wish i could i honestly wish i could tell you a truthful answer i don't know i I, I, I can tell you what my thoughts are my thoughts are that these fish you know that the herring's been in the lake long enough now that the the fish have absolutely fell in love with with feeding on herring and your your shad that you catch most of the time in this lake are 
a lot bigger than the herring that's in the lake right now. Mm-hmm. So my my thinking is, hey, we're we're not interested in that big shad. We're interested in the herring, and so be it. If they're small, we're just going to eat more. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the herring in Lake Martin, yeah, we had a we had a guy on a guest on last week that was talking about since they introduced the herring in Lake Martin that it's made a a definite impact on the quality and the size of largemouth bass that they're mm-hmm. catching. Spotted bass. Spotted bass. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the spotted bass that they're catching. No have doubt. you seen the same thing with the stripes? I have. I feel like. A- I feel like it's put more weight on the bass than it has the stripe, uh, or I should say put it on the bass quicker than it has the stripe. But health-wise, we've seen healthier stripe in this lake than we have in a long, long time. Used to, you would catch, and I'm just throwing a number out there, you, you catch 10 stripers to carry in to claim for clients, you'd have one out of 10 that absolutely just did not have any weight on it. And, and you'd go to clean it and there was no meat there. I mean, it was just, it was just not a healthy fish. And you don't see that much anymore. Now, I bet you, I bet you this entire year, I bet you I have not seen two fish like that. I'm talking about two fish the entire year. The, the bass, I did listen to y'all's broadcast, uh, last week and the guy was definitely telling the truth i mean there's there's no doubt these bass are bigger in lake martin now than they used to and i i contribute the whole thing to the herring that's good man that's uh that's exciting what do you i mean obviously threadfin are prevalent have been for a long time and we've always heard about the lakes that blueback herring have been introduced into have thrived and not from a scientific term, but, you know, from a just practical, everyday fisherman, decades of fishing behind you, what are, what are some of the differences between blueback herring and threadfin, and, and why the threat, uh, the blueback herring just seems to really turn a body of water around for, in, in a positive direction from, from a quality of fish standpoint? And I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit from the striper side. I think the striper likes the the challenge. The herring just I mean, they're swimming machines and mm-hmm. you you put one you put one on the hook and he's not sitting there. I mean he's moving the entire time where you put a shad on the hook and drop it down there. I call it lethargic maybe. I mean he's alive but you know, he's just there just moving around real, real slow if he's moving at all. He's not dying. You put a herring down there, and he's constantly moving. I mean, he's he's. You can watch your, you can watch your line, and he's moving that that two or three ounce weight that you dropped him down there with. I mean, he's moving it around like it's nothing. And and I I think the I think the stripers and possibly the bass too. I think they just like that action. And again, all this is my thoughts. Ten thousand other people's got other ideas. I just tell mm-hmm. people what works for me and what i what i think and what i see out there from being out there every day and and i think that's a big part of it i think they're just a lot more active bait yeah i can agree i mean i even see that in some of the you know a lot of times you know in in the in the bass world you know not the striped bass but just you know black bass species 
the more erratic or more action filled a bait is when a fish wants to feed, I mean, it, they really get aggressive. And so, you know, I'm sitting here looking at a, a very expensive swim bait on my desk that its action is very lively and it's a great bait. And so, yeah, I mean, a, a live bait that's going to swim more, be, be more lively, be more aggressive, it's probably going to trigger more bites. But you would think that it would take that bass more energy to catch those fish, which does not add up to pounds on in a healthier fish. So I wonder if the makeup, I wonder if the, if the herring have a higher fat content, <clears throat> in general healthier for the bass to feed on than a shad. Yeah, I, I've wondered the same thing several times. And I think in the right time of year when you're seeing a whole lot of bait, whether it's herring or shad, I think when I see the herring, I think I see a lot more herring in great big areas than I do shad. I might see a thick bowl of shad, uh, but it might not be as big an area as you see the herring. I, I think there's just I think there's just more herring, be, you know, being born. It's just they're plentiful. They're moving around a lot, and I think when the when the fish find those herring, I think, you know, they just gouge themselves out, gorge themselves out. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I was showing a client, maybe it was, it might have been Friday or Sunday, I can't remember. I mean, we flipped the striper over in the boat, and I, I opened its mouth, and I mean, I actually took the fish and shook it upside down. That's how many, that's how many herring was in that fish's mouth. And, and you could shake it. I'm not, you didn't have to reach in there and pull him out of there like he only had one or two stuck in his throat. He had so many in his belly and in his throat that you could shake him upside down and they just filled the bottom of the boot up. What? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not. So, like you said, uh, they actually are just gorging themselves, which yeah. has to do with the weight gain and the health of the fish so that's that's probably it they just love them <laughs> and there's a lot of them to feed on that's right and and again what few bass that that we hook up with i mean they're the same way when we uh, get them over in the boat i mean the bass are just full of them also their mouths just packed with them well good stuff man well that is uh man we appreciate it and uh appreciate you jumping on here with us Yes, uh, this afternoon and talk glad to hear that it's turning back on and man sounds like sound like you're having some some good trips right now so if somebody wants to come fish with you tell tell our listeners how to get up with you dave yes sir uh of course you can google and find me at Elliott city guide service uh david Hare or facebook Elliott city guide service lake martin uh, the best thing to do is either call or text and that number is two five six four zero one three zero eight nine well good stuff man well we appreciate it guys give david a holler go up there and and uh learn how to catch these strikes man we've got some some great lakes in this state with with some fun stuff to catch besides just large mouth and uh and spots in it and uh so give david a call and go jump in the boat with him and catch some fish david thanks a lot man look forward to talking to you again soon brother yes sir thank y'all y'all have a good week you too. Thanks. Thanks.
Well, hey, man, one thing we know from the last few weeks is these, these, these herring are making a difference in our lakes, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's so funny that we really had to fight for them for a long time. And, and, and there's, there, there's all, always needs to be control when not a native species is introduced because they're not, they're not native. But they really, they really are doing well from a fishery standpoint, as far as quality forage to change quality fish and great experience for fishermen. And whether it's whether it's from a long-term sustainability standpoint or an economic standpoint, people want to travel to a community and spend money in that community to fish because uh, they're going to have a great time. There's there's two sides there, and and I think so far. Uh, without seeing really any long-term repercussions of introducing a non-native fish, uh, forage fish, uh, it's looking good right now. And I'm excited for those fisheries like Smith Lake, like Lake Martin, who are really starting to see a change in their fisheries. Absolutely. And is this something that, do you know, is this something that they're still, you know, they introduced them several years ago. Are they still bringing more in or are they to the point now where they're they're maintained obviously they're doing well i mean is it pretty much self-maintained now yeah i don't know the answer to that that may be something we need to dig into and, and you know maybe even be advantageous to get a, a state representative on our show one day talking about the state of of the fisheries and ask ask questions like that but just like any other forage fish they do a great job at reproducing and so i'd imagine that they are doing well um, on their own, but I don't know the state of supplement stocking from, you know, Alabama, the state right. of Alabama. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to answer that. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff, man. Well, another great show. And folks, that is going to be a wrap for this week. Please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email it to you, man, just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash AFFR, and we will send it to you each and every week man drop us a review tell your friends about us and uh, we, we appreciate all the listeners that we have and Stephen, man look forward to seeing you next week hope yeah, your production gets caught up i know it will and uh, we'll talk to you soon bro oh it will because uh they everybody's working through the weekend let's put it that way that's what i'm talking <laughs> about cracking the wheel uh, i don't know about that man but they, I try to share a bigger vision for them today and, and hopefully everybody will jump on board. But And guys, get out there and fish a little bit. It sounds like everything's starting to turn around. Go enjoy all the great waters in the state of Alabama. That's it. All right, guys. Thanks. Talk to you next week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you want to grow big fish or healthier fish or just get your lake in better shape, call Southeastern Pond Management. You can call Norman Latona at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and, and give Norman a call. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.